Slack. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Over the Bridge podcast. Um, we are four Cambridge, I don't know why I'm doing this, but we're four black and mixed race Cambridge graduates in our late 20s. Now, just talking about life after the bridge. Right, we're 20s. all in our late 20s. Whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, okay, quick. Quick, are you on the wrong side of 25 yet? Oh. Yeah, I'm 25. Yeah, he's all, that is, all late, that 20s. Is late 20s. All begging, late 20s, mate. Begging that baby face, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, and we're just talking about life uh, after the bridge. Thank you for joining us. Today, we've got a really special guest in the studio. We've got Elijah Lawal talking about his new book out, uh, The Clapback. So Elijah, over to you, man. Introduce yourself. Tell us who you are. Hello, everyone. Uh, I'm Elijah. Definitely not in my late 20s. <laughs> Heading into mid-30s up in here, which is kind of Couldn't tell. <laughs> Couldn't tell, man. I really can tell. You shouldn't have said anything. Glowing. Oh, I mean, I'm 24. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but so glad to be on this podcast. I'm a huge fan. Um, I <laughs> maybe rather stupidly now decided to just incorporate writing a book into part of my life, but it's just been such a blessing um, writing about race and writing about it in a way that hopefully is appealing to everyone. So that's that's really been uh, a blessing. So really happy to just be here and talk to you all about it. Wicked, cool, man. What Welcome, is, man. just for anyone who doesn't know already, what is your day job? Oh, <laughs> um, I'm one of the PR managers at Google. I look after corporate comms. Go on, man. <laughs> Big and then, he, then he's got the full time to write books. You know? <laughs> yeah, when do you have <laughs> the time <laughs> to do that? <laughs> oh, it's a lot of sacrifice. Basically, my weekends involved writing this book, watching Match of the Day and going to bed. That was wow. essentially... Wow. Not a bad weekend, though. Oh, yeah, we still got Hannah in the studio. Hannah's listening. back. Hannah is back. Um, back baby. Yeah, for anyone who's listened to the, the last episode we recorded, Hannah is still here, which is cool. Um, <laughs> so we want to get into a conversation really, because I actually, when this book got sent to my house and I opened the package, right? This front cover, this front cover cracked me up, like almost straight. <laughs> I opened it and I was just burst out laughing. The book is called The Clapback, yeah? And it's your guide to calling out racist stereotypes. <laughs> and just I'm just going to read the front cover because it's jokes, because everyone knows this. Um, you know where to get the weed, right? Go back to your own country. Excuse me, where are you from originally? But black guys can't swim. Is it because I'm black? And all black people love fried chicken. I mean, if you ain't heard these things before, then where have you been? Like you've been living under a rock, man. Mate. Um, and when I actually put a picture of this online, I think the response, I just put a photo of the front cover. So many people were like, I want to get this book. Where's this book? I need this book. Elijah, what was the motivation for this, man? Um, so it's, it's interesting. I was listening to the last podcast and you were talking about people who grew up in London versus people who lived elsewhere and people who are, are British and black and middle-class. Um, I've had a pretty privileged upbringing. My parents weren't exactly like millionaires, but I never really wanted for anything. They paid for me to go to university. And now I work for like one of the biggest tech companies in the world. So I really wanted to it took me a while to kind of understand my own privilege within that world. Mm. And some of these things that I would hear, I just kind of shrugged it off because, you know, I grew up in Streatham and that's a very mixed sort of culture. Oh, nice. South London. South London. South London. These South Londoners are annoying, man. You know, man. Like, we ends. just like, love it. No, this is blood. Big. I feel like I'm at Garage Nation. <laughs> <laughs> South London. sucks. <laughs> 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 um, um, but yeah, these are things that I hadn't really kind of thought about. And, but when I moved to Ireland for the job 
Um, and then it kind of shook me to my core that there are people who are still surprised that I can speak English and there are people who are surprised that I'm articulate because of the way that I speak, but still looking at the color of my skin. And so it forced me to examine a little bit more about what it means to sort of be black. And that helped me with being a feminist. That helped me with being a better ally, <laughs> with being a better ally to the LGBT community. And it just helped me formulate these uh, sort of arguments a little bit better. So that kind of inspired me to write this book. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I read in the intro um, that you, you never imagined that the first book that you write about yeah. would be about yeah. race. So what did you, what did you see yourself writing about when you was a younger Younger kid? Uh, I was a very kid. nerdy kid. Um, okay. I was a very, very religious kid. I was listening to your, your podcast about what it means to be mas- uh, masculine mm. and masculinity. Mm. And you had uh, a guest on, I've forgotten his name, but he grew up religious and studied theology. Ben, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I pretty much had that background mm. <laughs> um, as well. So for me, I, I, you know, I wanted to write stories about the Bible. You know, mm-hmm. I, I really wanted to bring people into the world of Christianity and also Islam. My grandparents are Muslim and my parents were born Muslim and they converted when they moved here. Mm. Um, but we went to church together. We went to mosque together. It was all good. And there's just so many amazing stories in the Bible that I just wanted to bring to life and wanted mm-hmm. to tell. So I really just wanted to write about fiction. Um, but then as I got older and as, as I started to realize a, a few of these things that are starting to like impact black culture and the way that we see ourselves I just thought that you know I've got to switch that direction a little bit mm. and who were you writing this book for because I remember um uh Renier de Lodge was talking about like how I think she even mentioned it in the intro of her of her book mm. why I'm no longer talking to white people about race like the ironic thing about it is like she had kind of given her stance on this thing. Like, I'm not talking about race no more. Mm. Like, I'm not doing it. And now, since writing that book, that's all <laughs> she ever seems to do. Yeah. Talk to white people about race. Yeah. So, <laughs> when you wrote this book, was it was this like, was this at white people? Or was it about, like, was it to us? Or was it, you know, also, like- can what? I just, to follow on from yeah. that, actually, something like, I mean, I got, I got the ebook, so it's kind of cool to hear voice as well. So, you know, <laughs> quite cool. But um, you spoke about, kind of earlier on, like, the importance of, of allies, mm. um, of white allies. And it seems to me like reading a lot of this, I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Understood, 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 understood. Still very, very good to read or in my case, listen to nonetheless. But it seems to me a lot of a lot of what you were writing for was for the purpose of um, someone who wanted to be an ally, i.e. you're not black, you're white, and you're just kind of either scared or you are ignorant. And not ignorant is in a, um, you're, not ignorant is in the bad way. Actually, you're just blind and oblivious to what's going on. So, mm. was it more for for black people or more for like the white allies? Um, and do you actually believe that there is such a thing as white allies? It's such a bad question. <laughs> but I must ask, yeah. just since you've written about it, yeah. you know, do you think there is these questions? Mm. No, absolutely. It's a combination of both. I definitely wanted to write for the black community because I wanted to equip us with like clapbacks and responses (laughs) when people just say something that's so ignorant Mm. that you're just like, why would the color of my skin mean that I'm a better swimmer or a worse swimmer? Like that literally has no sense. Mm. And, but I think it's just something that we've just, we as a community and not necessarily even the black community, well, definitely not the black community has just absorbed as truth. You know, why would the color of my skin mean I was able to run faster? 
sometimes, and myself included, I haven't really had the words to be able to respond to that. So I really wanted Black people to be able to have like this sort of scientific research, anthropological research, all of that stuff to be able to respond to that. Mm. But then also to Tom's point, I really wanted allies in other communities, particularly the white community, to be able to understand why what they're saying is racist or what they're saying is prejudicial. Um, I think we can. I think we can have white allies. And I think it's incredibly important because all of us like sitting around this room saying, you know, this is racist because Mm. people are going to go, well, of course you're going to say that you're playing the race card. Mm. But sometimes it's just as powerful to have someone who is not black to say, whoa, hold on, stop right there. Like that's racist because of this. In the same way, it's important to have men who like jump in and block bullshit when people are just being annoying about anything that like women do that's empowering in the same way that it's important to have straight allies as well. So I think it's very, very important to have white allies. But at the same time, Mm. we as black people as well, we just need to own our power and be able to push back on things when they're just, well, bollocks. (laughs) Yeah, man. So when I was reading the book, what I love, yeah, because you write in a way, like, I loved it because it was similar to my writing. I was like, oh, I'm validated as a writer. <laughs> um, in the sense that you have so much sarcasm and jokes in there. And if anyone's read... If it's funny, gonna, man. I laughed so, out loud. There's like, so many it. funny bits of this book, yeah. and especially in the asterisks. The bottom, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, like, one of my favorite ones, I'm just going to pick up on this one because I was reading this like a couple of days ago. Um, there is absolutely no scientific... This is in a chapter called Food. There is absolutely no scientific, anthropological or societal proof that black people love chicken any more than any other races do. The reality of the situation is that chicken is tasty as fuck and then in the asterisk it goes shout out to Nando's or otherwise yeah. Nando shout out to Nando but like I love your, your writing style is really good in the sense that you have like that humor in there right mm-hmm. do you think that it's important in conversations about race particularly that maybe we still approach it with that sense of humor um not necessarily the reason why I wrote that way is because it it's my style but, and also because writing about race is painful because you have to acknowledge all of the terrible things that people have said about you. And then you've got to go out and find proof that mm. this that this is stupid. Mm. Um, the author, Toni Morrison, said the big problem, one of the big problems with racism is that you constantly have to prove things. And it's always one thing after another. Someone says, well, you know, you're not as intelligent as white people. You've got to go and find proof that you are, Mm -hmm. even though you know that you're not. So Mm -hmm. for me, uh, for me, it's really important to sort of bring that humor in just so that I could continue writing it. Because, you know, there are two chapters on, on, police brutality and I just had to step away from that because it it was just making me really sad mm. and of course I had known about all these things but the more research that I'd done into it the more the, the, the painful the more painful it became so for me adding a little bit of humor was a being true to myself mm. but then also being able to go you know what I want to tap into the absurdity of racism. Mm-hmm. I really, mm-hmm. I really want people to go, oh my God, that is literally the most stupid thing I've ever heard. Mm. Um, but I don't think we should always take this attitude towards race. Like some things are just racist and you've just got to put your foot down and just say, no, I am not standing for this. Mm. Other times there might be more room for a bit more of a casual conversation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And No, yeah. man, Because, um, yeah, obviously I read that uh, you grew up in Nigeria as well. Mm-hmm. And obviously, because I've 
been to Lagos as well. When I went to Lagos, one of my favorite memories of it was just like, wow, I'm literally standing in the most diverse place I've ever mm. been to in my life. Um, but if, you know, somebody that wasn't initiated, if a white person came here, for example, they would just see a whole bunch of black people. Mm. I'm like, look, there's so many different ethnicities here, different religions. Do you know what I mean? Like it was the mo- literally the most diverse place I think I've been. Um, but yeah, as young Nigerian, growing up in Nigeria, obviously you talk about this in your language chapter, like you never had to confront the word nigger before. Mm. Bro, I'm like, I feel weird saying that. But <laughs> well, I'm going to, I can say it, you know. Yeah. Um, I mean, you mentioned it in your book. So yeah, um, what was, for you being born and, born and raised in Nigeria, this discussion about race, like I know that there are a lot of people that would probably say, you know, oh, you know, if you haven't been exposed to racism for all of your life and you're just sort of new to it, um, you don't really, you don't really understand it. Like people that have always been in a like a Western country, like in the United States or in the UK. I mean, very often I've heard Americans even say that about black Brits as well, that we're not really, like we don't really have the authority to talk about racism or how, or, or you know, just blackness in general. So for you as a Nigerian, like, did you have those sort of that that sort of pushback? Was that something that was in the back of your mind when you were writing it? Mm. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I, it, actually, I, I moved to Nigeria when I was six. Okay, so yeah, yeah. Okay. I moved to Nigeria when I was six, but it, it was very interesting to me because when even as young as six, mm. like I knew I was black. Mm-hmm. When I went to Nigeria, I and I talk about this in the book and it's, it's a section called my self-examination. Mm. When I moved to Nigeria, I, I wasn't black, yeah. you know, because yeah. like pretty much everyone I knew and everyone in my family were black. So I was just Elijah. It's, mm. and, and it's a very fascinating thing to mm. have like that color bit yeah. removed. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Because you, Be the default. it's so freeing to just, you could do anything and people will go, oh, that's because he's Elijah and not because he's black. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like if I eat chicken, they'll be like, oh my God, Elijah loves chicken. <laughs> yeah. They won't say, you know, he loves it because he's black. And that was yeah. so freeing. And it was so interesting to then move back to England mm. and then have that label exactly put back on me. And so like, I, it, it was quite interesting because then I didn't really know what it meant to be, <clears throat> excuse me, in quotes, black. You know, I'd grown up in Nigeria. So I was listening to like Fela, I was listening to Sonia Day. I, mm. I didn't know Biggie. I didn't know Tupac at that idea. So even within the black community, people were like, what, what's up with you? Like, have, have you heard of Jay-Z? And I was like, uh, no, not really. Mm. And so, mm. you know, it, it's very interesting about what what constitutes as kind of black. And for me, when I was writing this book, I... I I was constantly thinking about what kind of black person am I? And then ultimately I just came to the conclusion that it doesn't really matter. I am black by virtue of being black. Mm. That's something I'm so proud of. And what blackness means to me is, you know, being part of a community that has struggled for hundreds and hundreds of years, but still comes out looking like better and just coming out just so proud and brave and strong and Mm. so Mm. you know my motto is always like bigger blacker better Mm. just like you know I'm just gonna embrace that Mm. blackness Mm. and it's my blackness might be different from someone else's blackness but that's 100% okay Mm. Mm. 
And we, we talk a lot about like the, the idea of there not being a homogenous blackness, mm. right? Mm. Um, I want to touch on, I want, I'll come to this in a minute. I want to talk about like your motivations for the mm-hmm. chapters that mm-hmm. you include in the book. Cause <laughs> they like, there's some really like good, there's food, there's sex, there's it covers work, everything. There's police. Yeah. Like you literally cover like everything and sport. Um, what, what was it going on for you? Why you chose those specific areas to cover in this book? Um, I was slightly selfish because I chose the the areas that I had kind of experienced. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something, again, I was quite clear to point out early on. Yeah. So, you know, I, I I try and I hope I do justice to Black women in, in the book, but I it's... I'm not speaking from them, their experience. Mm. Um, I hope I do justice to members of the LGBT community, but that's not my personal experience. And if you've read the book, you can see there are lots of like personal things yeah, that I talk about. What, yeah, I wanted to pick up on them. Uh, my family and, and, and stuff. So um, I chose the things that, that I had faced. Um, so I was speaking to my friend, Nell Zabi, who wrote a book called Think Like a White Man. And he was saying, oh, you should have put like, you know, <laughs> you guys heard of it. That's yeah. good. Um, he was like, oh, how come you didn't put the stereotype about like, you know, black people being afraid of dogs? And I was like, well, that just kind of wasn't my experience because I really love dogs and I, I, I really want a dog and I play with all of my friends' dogs. So kind of for me, that wasn't my experience. So I just kind of picked the chapters based on things that were happening mm-hmm. in my personal life. But I, I just didn't want it to be about me because like I said, I'm coming from a privileged experience. That's why I spent a lot of time on research, a lot of time on the kind of science um, behind what makes people different, not necessarily race, because that's a social construct, um, history as well. Mm. So I just really wanted to do justice to other people who may have not had the same experience as I did. Yeah, there's one. So in the book, right, you do a lot of um, personal anecdotes. Yeah. Which just <laughs> I, I love this, man. And there's one in the chapter called Six that I want to read out. It's quite a long one, mm. but I think... So many of our listeners or even people in this room, you might relate to this, right? <laughs> and you, like Elijah, we'll, come, we'll talk about this. So the context here, yeah, it says me drinking in a bar with three female white friends looking at oh, one's Tinder bit. profile. <laughs> oh, <laughs> hey, what about this guy? It says in his profile, he likes rock climbing. You went rock climbing once, right? Friend one, ooh, and he's black. Friend two, you know what that means. Uh, you, Elijah goes, uh, you know, that's just a stereotype. Friend two, totally swipe right. Friend two, friend friend three. Um, hmm, what if he's like, too big. Elijah continuing, even though they're not paying attention to him <laughs> at all. I mean, there have been no conclusive studies to suggest that black men are. Friend one, well, you just got to do your, your muscle exercises <laughs> before then, LOL. Friend two, hmm, I don't know. I don't want him to like ruin my vagina. Elijah, can you even hear me anymore? Um, actually, research has shown that when aroused, the vagina can expand up to 200%. Um, you know, you re- So you don't really have to worry. Besides, just because he's black doesn't mean... Friend three, um, hmm, good point. Better leave it then. Friend one, yeah, totally not worth it. Elijah, what? You were just you just prematurely rejected a guy because of some stupid stereotype that you don't know for certain is real. Friend two, come on, everyone knows black people are hung. Elijah, ever the voice of reason, do they? Do they though? Do they actually know or just assume? Friend one, it's common knowledge. Elijah resigned. I'm definitely gonna need another drink. <laughs> <laughs> now like <laughs> Bro. That 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 passage actually shouted with <laughs> I mean 
Yeah, let's talk about let's talk, let's talk about that because obviously you said like you're writing from your lens, right? These mm. are your anecdotes. These are your anecdotes like a straight black man. Mm. Well, I'm assuming, sorry, um, and not from like a female experience. And I'm sure that you actually in this chapter talk about like women. Yeah, as the well. sexualization of black women yeah, as like well. The hypersexualization of the black mm-hmm. female body. Mm. Um, but this is your experience about being a black man. Um, and the way that black men are hypersexualized, particularly by white women. Mm. Um, what was it that prompted you to include that anecdote in that quote? It's, it's just, again, it talks to the absurdity of racism, right? Like, why would the color of my skin have anything to do with the size of my penis? Like, it, like, if you just think about it from a logical perspective, mm. that makes absolutely no sense. And so you have to understand that this whole idea about black men being hung is a stereotype that has been perpetuated to make us feel or make people believe we're we're feral, you know, we're savage and all that we want to do is come and just like grab white women and just like have our way with them. And, mm. you know, like obviously, obviously. Where has that come from? I, I mean, I, I know, but I just want mm. our listeners to, so, to get that inside. It, it will come as no surprise. It came from uh, slavery. Shock you know, horror. Exactly. You no. can, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> would never have guessed. If it weren't for you meddling kids. Yeah. Well, absolutely. And I, I talk about in it in the, in the chapter. There's a specific ca- category in porn for like the the like <laughs> well, the cuckold. Someone said to me this is a very Shakespearean idea though, actually. Someone someone was talking Well we watched your fellow yesterday, innit? Mm. Well yeah, actually, we talk He's tapping your white you. Remember that, yeah, that yeah, line? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a it's a the, the idea of the mm-hmm. cuckold is basically it, it is this it goes back to Shakespeare, the notion that actually wow. mm. Someone else can go and satisfy my wife at the same time. Mm. It's there's a, there's an irony, even that there's an irony to it because when you think about it, it's still like the black person is being used as a device for pleasure, no more, no less. Exactly. Mm. The husband still who he basically recognizes that he can monetize the white husband anyway. Recognizes there's an aspect of his life that mm. he can monetize that he doesn't have. So it's kind of like it's the weirdest thing ever when you think about it. Yeah, mm. anyway, yeah absolutely. So. I mean, in porn they have a category for the best. Like mixed race scene, interracial scene, interracial yeah. scene. It's like, why? <laughs> also, also, really want to point this out because I've done a lot of research into it. Don't ask me why. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, rec- I'm joking. Um, uh, what's it called white white porn actresses get paid more mm-hmm. to yeah. do yeah. interracial yeah. scenes. Really? Yeah. 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 Yes. Yeah. 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 It's seen as like, like a yeah. So mm-hmm. like, okay, cool. You have to get paid a big amount. To really? Yeah. Yeah. Is that the logic behind it? Yeah. 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 You know, I've said to someone before. Yeah, that I honestly think that the world's worst export for the sake of um, like humanity is pornography. The worst export in the world. Oh, so absolutely. like if aliens absolutely. were coming to do business on planet Earth. <laughs> That's the worst. That's what you mean. Well, yeah, that's like, that's the thing like, that should monetize the most. That's the thing, that's the, but in, t- in terms in terms Maybe of like to, no, but you know what I mean. In terms of like perpetuating um, yeah. perspectives um, mm. that mm. people have, and in terms of like our own mental well being and things like that, and even even our attitudes towards um, partners or things like that. Mm. It all get there's, there's there's loads of stuff. I'm I'm not judging anyone. If that's, it's not a judgmental thing, but it's just me of of even like 
watching porn for a period of time and then thinking, actually, what the fuck is this actually when you think about it? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And also, who's there, behind so. the lens and how we're being portrayed and how mm. we're being treated. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. so, a lot of people don't have a sense of like reality yeah. versus mm. fantasy. Mm. And so they see like, for example, a black woman being treated. I'll speak as a black woman because I'm a black woman. Mm. Um, they'll see black women being treated a certain way in porn. Like there's even like a weird category of porn where it's like um, white supremacist and a black woman. Oh, Bro. Yeah. Like Really? Okay, did no one know that. There's actually a category. Listen, of... the worst thing you can think of, it probably exists in yeah. the yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. yeah, but it's there's true. like that I, category. I and then obviously you can imagine yeah. can't like, that's that. someone's kink to like yeah. wow. really? But I mean yeah. we, we we saw we saw all of that during during the slavery slavery era where it's like black people are, are lesser, but it didn't stop. White men from from yeah. raping black women. So it's like, well, hold on. You you say they're they're not human. They don't deserve to be loved. But you still can't control yourself to to sort of do that. Mm. And I think the whole problem with the narrative of black men being very well endowed and uh, and just kind of hungry and up for it, people use it as an excuse to do the most horrific things. Like for instance, like porn and the scenes you were talking about. In the States, the white supremacist Dylan Roof, um, he shot up a, a black church and he said, God told me to do it because all these black men are coming and raping all of our white women. And, you know, just I think that was also in 2006, like the governor of Maine, um, when they were debating some drug policies, he was like, well, you know, we have all these guys called D-Money and Shorty. You can guess who he's talking about coming into our cities and impregnating hmm. our, our, our lovely white women. And it's like, what? I have never been hanging out with my guys and being like, hey, what do you want to do today? Well, you know, we should go out of town <laughs> and impregnate some white girls. <laughs> you know, you know, <laughs> do you know what this reminds me of in a more, in a more serious way people. about the, the narrative that people like to, you know, like I've always said people, people, especially like if people have nationalistic tend tendencies, you look for a common enemy. Mm. Um, so it was like, and I, I often think that, see, Black people in the UK for a long time, still not rated, but rated a little bit more. But I'm saying prior to like 7-7 seven, seven, um, or yeah, prior to 7-7, seven, seven, prior to 9-11, like there was a lot of hatred. Then all of a sudden, 7-7, seven, 9-11, seven, it turns around and it's, oh, now we hate the Muslims. Mm. Do you know what I mean? That mm. kind of narrative is there because you can suddenly find a common enemy. And in fact, one of the funny things, are, are not funny, I mean, not ironic, and of course it's not funny away, but it's just the, the one of the ironic things was to do with the... Um, like the the group of um, girls being groomed up in like Rotherham and stuff like mm -hmm. that. And everybody saying, ah, it's just a bunch of um, Pakistani Muslims doing this. And then actually they, I think it was an article on Newsnight and they asked one of the victims and they said, my problem with the likes of the, the white nationalists talking about this is an understanding that there are white people that have been doing this for a long time, but nobody has the focus on them as well. Mm -hmm. Do you know mm -hmm. what I mean? It's, it's obviously a horrible occurrence, but it's the fact that people have used this agenda and turn it around. And so mm. actually it's, it's, it's a Muslim thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's that kind of thing that's being used. So, mm. yeah. yeah. We, we see... Oh, no, sorry. go. go. <clears throat> we see classic examples of that in things like knife crime and how it's been... Or violent crime in um, in major cities or what we would call urban cities and it being sort of pointed at the black community mm. where it's just like really mm. and we always have to challenge this idea that black equals crime right because mm. Mm. if the reason why there's increased knife crime is because they're black then that means we would all be out committing knife crime right now you know it means my 
80-year-old grandmother will be out committing knife crime. It means Barack Obama will be out committing knife crime. So, you know, exactly. See how ludicrous that is? So I think when we try and talk about it in a sense that, oh, the common denominator is their blackness, that's mm. so wrong. Mm. If you look at it, all the people who have been arrested or convicted for knife crime, there's so many other things that are more prevalent. It's have they come from a broken home? Mm -hmm. um, have they been expelled from school? Mm -hmm. Have they been disenfranchised by society? Like all of those things. But we don't talk about that because then we actually have to go and fix that. Mm -hmm. We have to fix our education system. We have mm -hmm. to fix our social care system. Mm -hmm. um, but we talk about we talk about it in terms of blackness because obviously you can't fix blackness, so that's yeah. a very easy yeah. excuse. Mm. Mm. Uh, they're that's just black. That's mm. what it is. Yeah. 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 But um, yeah, going back to the sort of um, sexualization of mm. um, black bodies, mm. um, I think it's really important to highlight how you know this is a form of benevolent racism, mm. or at least it comes in that form very very often. Yeah. Oh, so yeah, you're black. So you like? I remember when I. Because I didn't know that this was a thing That black men are supposed to have Like bigger willies I didn't think that was a thing Until I remember I was like 12 years old 13 years old And I was in the changing room mm. And this is when boys start to like You know They yeah. start to notice changes in their body Or whatever And mm. like I went to predominantly white school And all the white boys are like Oh yeah you know So and so is, Yeah he's got a big willie Blah 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 <laughs> And I'm just I used to look at them a lot in my school That was a, that was a thing Like guys would actively be like Yeah That's, yeah. What, each other's people that's, that's what was going on that's In the changing room That's me That's so weird <laughs> Me now I'm Me now I'm just in the corner of the changing room You know I'm Moisturising and all that stuff. Like I'm just doing what, what, what black legs. people do. Yeah. 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 Washing legs. And then, um, and then I noticed, I noticed that they, they, their attention is switched to mine. It's like, oh yeah, I bet Pat's got a big wheel. Yeah, yeah, you must have a big wheel. And I was like, what? what why? Why? It's like, oh yeah, because you're, you know, all, all, all black people, you know, they're a bit more. I'm like, I did not know that. But like this thing of benevolent racism, mm -hmm. um, it is like, I feel like not a lot of people really understand the implications of it because there's nothing benevolent really about it. Yeah. Because it, like yeah. you were saying before, it just feeds back into um, the, I guess the the really heinous, um, what's the word, origin of these stereotypes. So it's like, mm. oh yeah, all black, black men have big willies. That's great because, you know, all men want to have big willies. Yeah, but there's a reason why that exists. And that is tied to notions of us being these sexual animals, mm. blah, blah, blah. We can't do, we can't be around white women without trying to, you know, do you see what I mean? So, yeah. and, and I remember- It also damages the egos of those men, black men who don't have big women. Yeah. yeah. There's that yeah. too. Because they're, like, they're, they're expected. Yeah. There's that added, added pressure. Yeah, do you remember and when- Other we, people was like, oh, we don't even expect you to have big willies. But then black men is like, oh, we expect you to have a big willie. You don't have big willies. Yeah. And then yeah. 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 be hurt by that. And actually, perhaps you can talk about this from from a female perspective as well, because we oh, see gosh. a lot of that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not legally blind. <laughs> no, but you know, there's there's this narrative, obviously, like black women and like nice behinds and big black behinds, and again, yeah. that is the sexualization mm. of. of Black women And yeah. I imagine You would absolutely hate it If when you met a guy Black or otherwise That was the constant thing That they were talking about yeah. All the time Dinyash 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 Yeah I mean some, some of us are working With what God bless them you know Some of us are trying To do our best Out here We're very brave We're wearing jumpsuits We know what we don't have But we're out here Trying to do our little things so it's like Please please But it must be Like incredibly annoying yeah. If like that's the one thing That a guy Everything, is constantly Something small Like being able to dance yeah like exactly. if you 
exactly. can't dance, she can't whine. Boy, I remember my first. You know what? Let me not bring up any traumatic. Boy, yeah. the pain! Oh gosh! But my um, my senior me is shaking. <laughs> um, my friend, she she's mixed race, and she has like these kind of like golden brown eyes, and she says she just finds it so annoying that this is the one thing that people just fixate. And she's like, "I'm intelligent. I am beautiful. I am smart. Why do men only come and talk to me about this just one aspect of my?" Right of my body that I can't even control. Like, mm. tell me how smart I am. That's something I do, I work at. Tell me that you love, that I have an amazing job. Don't just tell me, oh, you've got beautiful eyes. And it's just, and to your point about benevolence, that's like, that's not benevolence. Yeah, that's not just, benevolence. Mm. this is a fetish. It's mm. this one mm. thing that you really, really love. And yeah, so. Let's change benevolent racism to thinly veiled racism. Thinly veiled racism. I prefer that term instead. I mean, Trademark on yeah. this podcast, on this day, <laughs> done. If you, if, you, if you replace the word benevolent with altruistic, which is, you can do that sometimes, is it, it doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. Like you try to find like a kind of synonym for it. It doesn't make any sense. Mm. It's like how can racism itself even be benevolent? It's yeah. like an oxymoron. It's exactly. Right? Yeah. It's yeah. Like yeah. Benevolent. It's like, I mean, it's like, oh, lighthearted racism. Murder. <laughs> lighthearted murder. Like, that doesn't make sense. That's a bit of banterful yeah. murder, you know? <laughs> cheeky bit of murder. Yeah. yeah. You know? <laughs> cheeky Nando's the cheeky murder. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. Like, you know, so, yeah. Um, I want to ask a question. So, in this mm. book, you sort of bounce a lot between. Britain and America and like use them both as like your the clapbacks like mm-hmm. use them both as like we, this is what happened this yeah. is how you answer that do you think that we can do like you draw from an American context in Britain and use that as a clapback yeah absolutely um the reason why I focused on those two areas because when you think about black culture I think those are two of the countries where you tend to think more of like black culture originating from um you know Canada, for instance, has a very populous um, black culture, but I I don't really know a lot of that. And I don't think a lot of people outside um, of Northern America mostly relate to that. Apparently it's similar to like London, Toronto, isn't it? Yeah, Toronto is really good. The common denominator is all the Jamaicans probably. Because we even have the same slang and all that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean... Toronto, well, Montreal is one of my favorite cities to go to go and visit. Um, they love Drake in Toronto, <laughs> but uh, oh yeah, they That's absolutely their guy. love Drake. That's yeah. their boy. That's their king. Yeah, um, <laughs> I think we can use them interchangeably, and I think um, someone said it earlier. I think maybe it might have been you, uh, Patrick, about like sometimes Americans not saying that we have the right to talk about, you know, either slavery or the black experience or the black pain. And I fundamentally disagree with that. Not in the least because, you know, Britain or England, United Kingdom, they were one of the first slavers of black people, you know? And that's something that we have to reconcile with as black people who live here, Mm. uh, black people who identify as British. That's one of the things that we need to reconcile that, Mm. you know, the country that we've chosen to live in Mm. has this historic, terrible background. Which they still have not. Which they don't, but then again, I like no, no one else does. Like America definitely doesn't. I mean, they call Native Americans Indians. (laughs) It's like that's 
India's yeah. in a completely different continent. Like, oh, oh, okay, <laughs> red, red Indians then. No. <laughs> Could you imagine like going, like the first settlers going to America and being like, right, this is America. And then the Native Americans are there and like, yeah, we know we're here. And they're like, nah, you're Indian. Have you seen that, have you seen that sketch on Twitter? You know, um, Demetrius, um, Meech on Mars, the guy, he's like yes, a Twitter guy. so funny. And he did a sketch um, basically of that. And mm. it was, he dropped it on Thanksgiving because obviously like, yeah. you know, but um, yeah, that's basically it. But it's just oh, a very I, funny sketch. I would, just, I would love to see that. Yeah, but it's like a guy just chilling in his house, and he's just like, "Yeah, man, I'm gonna read a book in my house because what else am I gonna do? I'm reading a book. It's my <laughs> house." And then Why these two gonna... guys roll in, and they're just like, "Yeah, I can definitely see, you know, I can definitely see us setting up something here." And he's like, "What the hell are you guys doing here?" He's like, "Oh, shut your bitch ass up! Shut your." Bitch. It's hilarious. It's hilarious. Yeah. Um, you got a lot of time, you know, Patrick. I, I'm off to it now. I've I'm, oh, okay. I've been off to it for a little bit now. Oh, it's good. Oh, it's yeah. good. Good for it's death, health, yeah. It's good for the soul, for sure. Trust me. Well, I I started doing this thing, I think at the start of this year, where anything I post on Twitter is positive. Because okay. I kind of got caught up a little bit in the... Um, oh dear, I've forgotten his name. What's the, the actor from Empire that was kind of caught up in that whole... Oh, um, oh Jussie, Jussie Smollett. Jussie Smollett. I kind of got caught up in that whole thing and it's just, it was very negative and it was just perpetuating a lot of negativity. So I just kind of made the rule that anything I post on Twitter will be positive. It'll I went, be like, I went off all forms of social media, man. Yeah, it's, oh, it's greatest form. No, no, honestly. He exists. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's like a world class Priya, though, because he's always. He, always knows he knows what's, what's going on. He doesn't know what's going on. He knows what's going on and that. But, you know, and my rule is this is that ultimately, I know we live in a, a world, but you know what I've learned here? Yeah, ultimately, this is obviously away from topic, but like if you want to talk to someone, you actually got to go and talk to them. Mm. <laughs> Yeah. No, nah, man, but do you know what I mean? No, like, do you know what I mean? No, nah, like, with hinge. To talk. that's like with hinge because I want hinge and everyone wants to be a fucking pen pal. So, <laughs> wow, like, you know, I'm not here wow. for that. If anyone, if anyone swiped Hannah on hinge, <laughs> 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 but it's true. That's that's part of the reason I came off hinge because I was just like, I was like, this is not going anywhere. I'm just having all these conversations and it's just all going around and over. I was on it. Like, yeah. Yeah. Hey, being, how was your day? It was good. Fuck. Yeah. Can I, can I ask you, like, back to the back Let's to go the to Shard, innit, man? Like, <laughs> back to Duck the Duck and book. Waffle. So there's this, there's, this, um, there's this one bit, that, there's another anecdote I want to pick up on because mm. I think this is one that a lot of people, particularly in London or like in an urban area would relate to. Mm. It's 14-year-old, it's a chapter called Police. 14-year-old mm. you walking home in a tracksuit and hoodie after a run um, and you then said, well, you wouldn't be caught dead running nowadays. <laughs> and approached by two police constables. Policeman one, afternoon, sir, where are you coming from? Uh, you, I just went for a run and now I'm heading back home. Police too. And where is home? And then you, you're you still naively thinking this is a standard conversation. <laughs> uh, Joseph Bates, president in Streatham. Uh, police too, I see. And where have you been? Uh, you, it's just as I said, I went for a run and the policeman goes, but where did you run to? You said just laps around the park. Policeman won the park, huh? They sometimes sell drugs in that park. You don't have any drugs on you, do you? You mortified <laughs> at the very, I don't know why I'm doing a cocktail. I, <laughs> <laughs> I, I was literally <laughs> waiting for you to be like, you right, fella. You are. <laughs> Um, <laughs> but then you, you mortify the idea of having anything to do with drugs and you go, no, not at all. I just went for a run. And then the policeman goes, so don't mind if I search, yeah? And you go, no, but I really haven't done anything. And the policeman goes, well, let's just see. Yeah. yeah. Can, I just, can I just ask, sure. before we carry on, I would like you to speak about this topic. Mm-hmm. Um, presumably we've all been stopped and searched here. Come yeah. Come uh, anyone been stopped and searched under uh, terrorism or terrorism act? <laughs> no. I have before. Police <laughs> using their, their powers. What were you doing? Six, I'll tell you a story. I'll tell you a story. I, no, no, I'll tell you a story. And this, this actually makes me really upset when I think about it. Um, 
In secondary school, when you leave, we used to have this sort of tradition where you'd throw egg, egg and flour to the, the year 10s. So year 11, you throw egg and flour to the year 10s. It happened to us. Year above, it's carried on. I think this, the school stopped it, but, you know, we did it anyway. Snowflakes. No, I'm joking. <laughs> um, wow. Anyway, so I'm walking around with eggs. And uh, wait, they stopped you <laughs> <laughs> under yeah. the terrorism because you was carrying I got eggs. Stopped and searched wow. under, under a section of the terrorism <laughs> for having eggs. Um, just for having for eggs. eggs. They thought I was gonna go and terrorize a bunch of kids. I oh had egg God. And flour. I'm not gonna get into it, but it was actually really upsetting. I've also been. I've also Sorry, been, I've been permanently banned out of a library because a white woman complained that I was making noise in a library. What? Um, yes. It was. It was me. Two of my. I was in year nine. It was me. There were f- it was four of us, two, three guys and a girl. Luckily, what? the girl's dad worked up in Scotland Yard. She was all of us were black. Luckily, the girl's dad worked up in Scotland Yard, so she called about it. But a white woman complained. Police came, spoke to all of us, what? searched us, searched us bags, and gave us an order. Said, "You've been permanently banned from this library. You can't ever come out." Which I'm library like, is that? It was a library in Canning Town because I was to school in Canning Town, yeah. so we got permanently banned. So I couldn't actually get into wow. this uh, library because a white woman complained that we we're making noise, we're making a small bit of noise, but not to the point where it was a racket. I admit, mm. but not to the point that you're banned forever from, from a library. library. Yeah. Permanently well, banned from a library. Incredible yeah. though that the police responded to that so immediately. Bro, like yeah. you, know, you responded quickly to kids making yeah, noise in a library. First of all, do I mean a library? This is the maddest thing. A library, like I could have been. They're all shut down now, aren't you? Yeah, government has shut that down. Get me, but, but in youth yeah. in youth clubs as well. But I don't want to mm. just 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 to highlight the fact yeah. that yeah, yeah, this is a so this is a, a live thing. situation. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. the park running. Yeah. I mean, you're right, mate. Yeah. <laughs> you're right, fella. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I don't think if, if if you're not black or you know a person of color, I, I sometimes don't think you really kind of understand the impact of the culture of pain and hurt from law authorities. Mm-hmm. Trust you know, me. trust me. I, I spoke to a, um, one of my, actually my one of my best friends, um, he's white. And I had this conversation with him and I said, when you were growing up, what did your mom tell you about the police? Or what did your dad tell you about the police? And he said, if there's ever any trouble, call the police. <laughs> right, see, look at everyone's reaction. Whereas for us, it was like, if the police stop you, just be kind, be courteous, don't say anything yeah. crazy, don't do anything. Yeah. Just just make sure you get out of that situation alive. Exactly. Like, and this sure is even in a country where the police don't carry guns. And still we had that. And, I, and that's for him. It helped him understand that like, the way you perceive the police is completely different from the way we perceive the police mm. because yeah, this is an institution that is supposed to protect us. That is supposed to keep us safe. And historically, and even still today, to like crazy proportions, we get stopped, we get searched, we get arrested, we get dehumanized. Mm. And so it, it's just... It, it's insane. It's as if your your mom or your dad, your carer, the ones that are supposed to take care of you are the worst people to you. Mm. Like that has some sort of fundamental hurt inside mm. that it's very, very hard to, to explain to someone who kind of just goes through life like doing anything. Like, does anyone know the comedian Wanda Sykes? Yeah, yeah, yeah of course. She, yeah. That special was hilarious. Yeah, she did this bit where she yeah. walked into a supermarket with a white person and the person just took a bottle of water and started drinking it before they paid for it. And then when they got outside, she looked at her and went, don't you pull that white shit around me next time. <laughs> like, it's different rules. You can't just be picking stuff up and opening for it before. So, oh, Some white lady literally steal a whole bag of groceries from Morrison's. She literally died. That was how brazen she was. It was the 
whole bag. Yeah. It wasn't even one item. And the security guard stopped him and was like, obviously we're going to prosecute her. And then the manager or whatever was like, no, we can't look at her. And I was like, and then she had the cheek to turn around and be like offended that they were stopping her. She was like, oh, <laughs> That's the funniest thing. Like, <laughs> oh, oh, I'm, so, I'm outraged. The audacity. Like, I've committed a crime and you want to prosecute me. Like, what is this? Yeah. I remember yeah. someone was saying on Twitter the other day, like, you know, when you go to the self service checkout, right? Yeah. And I do this as well. Every I receipt. always take a receipt. Oh, bro, of course. Just in case. Because there's never a time where I'm going to be caught slipping yeah. trying to steal a bottle of water from nah. like, and then the security card rugby tackles you out the, the door. Like, allow it. Like, if it's a bottle of water, like, I'm getting that receipt just in case. Like, yeah. it's, I, yeah. even, I just grab a random receipt, even if I didn't take it. <laughs> I just take that receipt. It's like, oh, yeah, I, I got it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just this is something that we have to deal with. Mm. And, and I, I, I educate and I make it very important and something that I always have to do is to educate the white people in my life about how these things are different mm. because I don't want them to go through life thinking that everything is fine and everything is equal and the way everyone is being treated mm. is equal. Mm. And not only when a black person gets shot or when a black person gets deported, is it a big thing? Mm. Like every day we go through our lives with like this condition called blackness, which we always have to be aware of. Mm. Um, and it's just not something that I think, unless you're black or a person of color, you really kind of understand. Mm. Mm. And so every time I'm always just like pointing things out and it's like, mm. see, you can do, you can do that. You can get away with that. Like yeah. I, I can't. Mm. And so, yeah, constantly have to sort of point those things out. This reminds so, me of when I said fuck feds at work and they were like, pardon. <laughs> I don't even know what conversation it was. Everyone's like, are you dumb? Um, but there was a conversation about police and all that. And I was like, fuck feds. And they all looked at me like, why would you say that? But the police protect us. And blah, blah, blah. I was like, what? Yeah. Almost. Shut up. You don't know where I'm yeah. from. You don't know where I'm My from. My friends. So there's that. Mm. Talking um, about, we're talking about um, yesterday at work, we're talking about Boris Johnson. And I said, you know, if this man does become prime minister, I said it highlights everything that's fucking wrong with this country. Well, it's, it's our version of Trump. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. No, no, no. They're even best friends in the same bed. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and I said, bumbling, stupid acts to get where they were. And I said, listen, and I said, I said, I know I'm talking to a bunch of Tories in it, well, the conversation. I said, I know I'm talking to a bunch of Tories in it. I said, I understand, and, and you will never understand why. But I'm even as a t- even as a Tory, that's the next thing I said. And I said, but even 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 as a Tory, I said, you, I said. For you not to recognize how much of a scumbag this man is, yeah. I, I really should be bringing him up. I don't care because it's, it's the facts. And actually, one thing I saw that really got me last week, and I said said to you, like, I was I branded. I don't watch Question Time, but I just decided to switch it on. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. and um, Kwesi Kwarteng. <laughs> they asked, they said, oh, is Boris Can Johnson racist? Can anyone say sunken place? My man, my man is there, isn't it? Like, they said to him, oh, is he racist? And he was like, no, no, the man's not a racist. And I, I, said, to him, I said to the guys, I said, listen, what's worse? This man, basically, who's a, he's an educated, he's an educated chap. Like, do you know what I mean? And saying that Boris Johnson is not racist, but documented all the stuff and bullshit he's come up with. Or... Um, Ashley Cole defending John Terry saying that you're not a racist either. Mm, I don't mm. know which one is worse. Mm. Personally, think this one with crazy quoting, innit? But mm. anyway, I'm not even to make so, comparative exercises. Um, just, we, yeah. we got a couple, got a couple minutes left, right? And the book itself, the book itself is called like your guide to calling out racist stereotypes. Um, what what advice would you give people in calling out racist stereotypes? Um, 
the first one, which might seem counterintuitive to the book, is don't feel like you always have to take that on yourself. Mm. Like you being black or a person of color, that's that's your life. That's your state. You don't ever have to justify that to anybody and you don't ever have to like point that out. Take care of yourself first. Mm. Take care of your mental health first. So what you're saying is being black doesn't mean that you automatically have to be doing activist work to be considered black. Like you're black by virtue of being black. Exactly. Okay. If you want to do it. Yeah. Because it is important and I think people should do it. Mm. Then this book is your guide. Mm. But also feel like you can take a break. And I sometimes worry that I give myself hypertension because I'm just like constantly (laughs) angry about these things and constantly mad that they're happening. And so sometimes it's okay to just like, to just take a break and don't feel like you always have to be out there. But it is important to to do it. And I had, there's a chapter in the kind of, or section in the conclusions, like why it's still important to talk to white people um, about race. And I had kind of written it before Renny had written her book. I was like, oh God. <laughs> turn, it, turn it in was like, no, 90% plagiarism. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, do you know what? I purposely did not read it until the book was yeah. done because I didn't want to um, touch on that. But yeah. I think... We, we constantly should educate people, but don't feel like it's our mission to change people's minds. Yeah, yeah. Because that, I, I think that sometimes that's a lost cause. Like point out racism when you see it, see it. Point out prejudice when you see it. Point out unfair disadvantages when you see it. But then equally, if someone's not buying what you're selling, just go, you know what? That's fine. That's you. Just be, mm-hmm. exist in your own space. So everyone should take care of their mental health. Um, but yeah, do, do point it out, read the book, um, read other books around race and just make sure that, you know, you have something more substantial to say other than, but that's just racist, you know, point mm. out historic racism, uh, systemic racism mm. um, that's baked into our fundamental infrastructure, you mm. know, mm. Um, and that should, I, I can't see anyone who can then not say, okay, I hear where you're coming from. That's why I put a lot of personal stories in the yeah. book because I, it's okay to be like, black people are 40 times uh, more likely to be stopped by the police than white people. But then if I give you an experience with me as a young 14-year-old boy, just minding my own business and having these like police officers harass me. And, you know, if Bilal had finished reading the section, it was like, while those police officers were having that engagement with me, there were a group of young white boys around the corner, like calling them wankers and yelling at them. And they didn't do anything to them at all. And that's a more powerful experience than just statistics. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, like, go on. No, I was going to say, man, like, I was going to start wrapping it up. I just wanted question. to ask, what's next? For you, Elijah. Um, so, and I'm sorry, I know you've only just like, <laughs> dropped no. this book, so it's like half. Um, I, uh, I I I wrote a TV pilot, um, Ooh, wow. which is come on, <laughs> um, and I wrote it with a lot of diverse characters as well. But just like going through life, doing the day to day stuff, so it's not like a kind of like pointedly this person's from Spain, so there has to be an episode in Madrid. It's like, no, you know, we have Spanish people in London as well, just chilling. So mm. um, I, I wrote that. And so I submitted it to the BBC's writer's room. So hopefully get some positive feedback from that. But in terms of the next book that I want to write, um, I want to write something that is a version of the clapback, for, but for younger people. Mm, so okay. just, you know, maybe like 14, 15 year olds who are starting to... Um, 
is starting to be a little bit more racially conscious. I want them to to have that understanding and not come to it later on in life like I did. That's dope. Can I just briefly, briefly ask? Sure. Open up a can of worms, but yeah, does listening did listening to artists like Fella give you a sense of a consciousness as to your identity? Um, honestly, a long question. uh, I can give you a a short answer. Honestly, no, just because. For me, like, I'm a Yoruba man, so I was like, listen to Yoruba songs. I was like, yeah. Oddly enough, it was Talib Kweli, Mostef. Those were the ones who kind of made me, like, realize kind of what's going on. Okay. No, thank you, man. No, thank you all for having me. No, Elijah, thank you so much for coming, man. Where can people find you? How can people stay in touch? Um, I'm on Twitter at Elijah underscore Lawal. Instagram, the same as well. If you have any questions, just... uh, just whiz them over happy to answer um and now i encourage everyone else to at least try it what i'm doing which is on social just like put out positive stuff um mm-hmm. like no one needs to share the negative yeah. just put out the positive stuff mm-hmm. and go buy the book and go, buy the book oh the god book. yes <laughs> the most important thing. Yeah. <laughs> buy the book before you follow me on twitter <laughs> <laughs> Wicked. Um, and also, like, thank you, Hannah. Yes, thank yeah, you. Yeah, Hannah. <laughs> Our esteemed guest, second yeah. guest. Yeah. And, and if you've swiped Hannah on Hinge, make sure you send oh her a message. Because <laughs> she's like, no, <laughs> <laughs> if you're sending a message, make sure, you know, there's like, there's yeah. something yeah. going yeah. yeah, make sure that you're actually going somewhere with yeah. Please, Take her out. Please, take her take her no out. small talk. She does no, no, no small waste talk. Men. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> no. We also have socials. So, at Hannah Lee writes, Hannah spelt the correct way. Lee, What's the correct way? Yeah, well, what's the correct way? Palindrome way, which is H A W N A H. Okay. Oh, can I just say, I love that you sending for sight palindrome. Yeah, send our names on palindrome. All the Hannahs just got simple. All you other Hannahs are invalid. Thank you. These girls call that. Oh, oh. It's a different way as well. Still. There's no other way to spell it. Thank you. And also, Hannah's got a book coming out, right? I do indeed. A children's book called My Hair out in September. So September 5th with Favour. Oh, wicked, man. Pre-order it now. Us Us man need to write a book one day. Yeah, we'll do it. We'll do it. Why not? We'll pattern it up. Well, wicked, man. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining us in the studio today. It's been really nice being back in the studio. It's been wicked, man. And We'll keep going. We'll have some more content for everyone. Um, please do buy the book and get in touch with us if you want to carry on talking at OTB Podcast UK on Twitter and Instagram and OTB Podcast UK at gmail.com via email. Thank you for listening. Over and out. Mm.